Well, good morning. I hope it has been a good morning. Um, before I dive into James, which I'm really excited about, I want to take a moment to just pause and say thank you. A couple weeks ago at the end of our service, I, I, I presented you guys with a need or some needs that we had as a church, some places that, that you could step in and get involved. And our goal was to, was to bring on some new people onto our team so that our teams were stronger so that we would be able to form some healthy rotations and establish a healthy rhythm as a church. Uh, so two weeks ago, I, at the end of the service, I gave you guys cards that listed out areas that you could step into. And I just want to stop and thank you. We received 18 cards back. Uh, 15 of those 18 represented brand new households. And for us, this is why I bring this up. You guys have, are making an, an incredible step forward for us to become um, a healthy church with healthy teams, healthy rhythms, that it is a joy for every person to step in and serve. Because as you can imagine, this takes some work. It, it does, and it, this would not happen if it wasn't for some of the coolest volunteers in the world that we have. And I'm excited that, that so many have said, you know what, I can give a week a month, I can give a week a month and the kids, I can give one week a month and, and set up, tear down, whatever it may be. And I just want to thank you. And if you're here and you go, well, great, I missed that and I'd love to get involved. Uh, we still have uh, spaces for you. We still have need. And not just for those three teams. We have, I mean, everything. This is the beauty of being a new church. It's honestly one of the things I love about it. Uh, we have pulling a trailer, greeters, ushers, coffee, setup, tear. We have so many places it's what, do you, what would you like to do? We have an area to do it. And so I want to encourage you, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, uh, please let me know. If you want to step on uh, board to one of our teams, we have some of the coolest teams on the planet. So make sure uh, that you do that. But I did want to just stop and thank you. Um, I am really excited about James this morning. We're stepping into a new section of James, a brand new section um, and in our first section, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is James walks us through, uh, if you remember in week one, uh, how to suffer and go through trials well. That these trials in our lives are, are meant by God uh, to be used for his glory and for our good that we become more like Christ through them. That he uses even the hard things, especially the hard things, uh, to make us more like Christ. And so we learn that through our trials that we produce steadfastness, that, that we're not tossed from side to side with the waves, but that we are, that we are rooted in our faith. Uh, we then, last week, uh, Craig did a great job. We, we unpacked, we started to look at what wisdom is. That wisdom is different from knowledge. That wisdom is, now that we know, how do we act on it? How do we live it out? That, that we started to talk about what wisdom is. We looked in verse 17 that a toss from gift comes from God who doesn't change. Even though we change, even though we are section and we honestly get to step into one of the most prominent themes of the book of James. Uh, one of the most popular passages in all of James is what we're gonna be looking at today. And so uh, before we get into that, here's why what we're talking about today matters. Okay, here's why what we're about to say matters. Um, I'm going to say this often in our time this morning, but this text should serve as a spiritual gut check to each one of us. 
should serve us as a spiritual gut check for each one. A gut check meaning that when we take our lives and we put it up next to this text, we should start to see things in our lives that should make us question and it should challenge us to, be, to grow and to become better. This should be a spiritual gut check for us um, that makes us examine our character and our, our integrity up next to the word of God in this text. Um, here's my encouragement, though, and this sounds weird. As we navigate through this text, my encouragement is to navigate it with you in mind. Navigate it with you in mind, not the person sitting beside you, not someone who you think, oh, this would be great for them to hear. But gut checks are really effective. They're really only effective when we take them, not when we deflect them uh, to the person sitting beside us. And so my encouragement is simple. Let's read through this text with you in mind. We're going to revisit this later. There's an old saying in the church that I love and I think it states it beautifully. Uh, we not only read the word, but we allow the word to read us. And so this morning, that's my prayer for us as we step in. Are you ready? Okay, awesome. Um, let's start in verse 19, okay? Verse 19, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers. That should sound familiar to us because James uses that term, my beloved brothers, all throughout his letter. We've already seen it three times. This will be our third time that we've seen it in chapter one. Uh, every time James shifts his focus, he marks it with this, my beloved brothers. Uh, he uses it actually 11 times. It's James' way of focusing our attention back. I, I have uh, boys in our house, and I think of it when I'm trying to talk to them, and I look into their eyes, and I'm like, they're not here. They're like, Squirrel, like looking up, you know? Um, when, whenever that happens, maybe you're here, your kids do that. Maybe you're a, te a teacher and your students do that. Maybe your spouse does that. Unfortunately, no, hopefully not. Uh, but what I do with my boys in those moments is I, I, I touch their face and I say, let me see your eyes. Let me see your eyes. Let me see your eyes. This is James' way of saying, let me see your eyes. So whenever you see this, just, just think of James kind of grabbing our faces and saying, let me see your eyes. Focus in. And then what does he say after he says, my dear brothers? In verse 19, he says, know this, my, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, Craig referenced last week several Proverbs, which I think is awesome because, because uh, Proverbs and James, they both do such a phenomenal job of, of showing us what walking in wisdom. So um, I think it's appropriate. And I, we actually, one of my favorite Proverbs, I couldn't get away from not reading it. Uh, Proverbs 17, I want to read this to you. It says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Now listen to this. I love this. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Even a fool is considered wise if he would just keep his mouth shut. That intelligence is seen best with closed lips. Why? This isn't rocket science, right? We know this because wisdom is seen clearly when we are slow to speak and quick to listen. So James says, be slow to speak, be quick to listen. And 
that is honestly, if we just stop here, some really good life advice. Really good life advice. Relationship 101 is this right here. We say often here several times that we are not a church that just rallies around good advice. We're not going to come here and get, you know, good motivational life lessons every week. That's not what we're here. We're here because of the good news of Jesus, that we come here and we, we think of the good news that he came, that he died in our place, and the gospel is what propels us and compels us to be here. But let me say this. Here's the reality. As we pursue the gospel, as we teach it, as we sit under it, as we think of its implications, we get the unique privilege of seeing the beauty of the wisdom of God. And this is a great example of good and godly wisdom. So let me ask, how many here have ever spoken out of emotion? Me neither. I mean, I I don't know what's going on here, but all of us, right? All of us, because in in fact, any time that I look back, um, even in our marriage, I think every, every time that we've gotten in an argument, it's because I'm speaking out of emotion. I'm not listening. I'm speaking uh, and in these moments, what's, what's in those moments where we're quick to speak, those tend to be the moments that we are the slowest to listen. And those tend to be the moments then that we are quickest to anger. And James is calling that out and says, be slow to speak. And then he tells us why in verse 20. He says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. For James... Um, James is telling us why, and simply it's your anger does not produce behavior that pleases God, right? That's the simple gist of it. The, the words that spew forth out of your mouth in those moments of anger when you are quick to speak and slow to listen, those don't produce behavior that's pleasing to God. And this is, again, not surprising information, is it? This isn't new. This, this is, we know this from experience, from common sense. Um, have you ever exploded in anger at someone and just thought, man, I nailed that. God really is really pleased with the way I just belittled that person's mother. They're, he's loving, the, the Holy Spirit is just oozing out of me. No, we know that anger and things done in anger do not lead to um, are actions that are pleasing to God. We know this. And so the point of this text is telling us new information. It's giving us a gut check so we can then apply for the information that we know. Um, the encouragement in this text is for us to grow in our ability to apply what we know. And so gut check, before we go any further, uh, how does this play out in our relationships? Husbands, wives, Um, Parents, children, employee, employer, friends, co-workers. Are you quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger? Because James says that's what the wisdom of God looks like when it is lived out. Um, And then James goes on and gives us a visual encouragement. Uh, In verse 21, it says, Therefore put away... All filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. How many here are visual people, visual learners? You learn by seeing. Don't tell me about it. Let me see it. Okay, some of us. Um, This is for you. 
James gives us a visual. He says, put away, which, which means literally to take off. So I want you to think of like a, a, a jacket that you are wearing. Of course, you would not be wearing it here in San Antonio, Texas, but if you lived somewhere else, think of the jacket that you would be wearing. I have to, Craig, but think if you lived somewhere less blessed than us, like the, the unfortunate Missouri that Craig described last week, the jacket that you would be wearing in that moment. Um, James is saying, take off that jacket. Okay, take off that jacket. Um, James is, is saying the moral filth, the wickedness that's so rampant in yourself and in your culture, take off that jacket. But notice he does not leave us there. James doesn't leave us there. He doesn't just say to put away or to take off. He calls us then to put on or to receive something else in its place. The message is not just stop being angry, stop sinning. We've heard that message before, right? Just stop it. That wasn't the message. It was take off that jacket and put on. Put on what? The implanted word which is able or strong to save your souls. Take off the jacket of filth and wickedness and put on the implanted word. Now, what is that? Let's, I want to give kind of two things about the implanted word before we go any further. Uh, one, notice it is the implanted word, not the innate word. Implanted, not innate. Uh, meaning, the word that is able to save is not something that is innate to us, but something that is planted in us. The word that is able to save is not something that is innate to us, but something that is planted in us, implanted, something that takes residence in our lives as we're being changed by the Spirit of God, implanted. Number two, the implanted word, this highlights a distinctive of the Christian faith. Religion, for the most part, what it does is it tells you about external rules and regulations that we are to live by. And if we do this, then God does that. If religion, um, but in contrast, Christianity is very different from that. Inside out, very different from that. It is an inside out religion. Uh, it is an inside out religion where God plants his word in us, implants his word, and then we get to exercise what God has put into us. And Christianity is all about exercising what God has put in us. And he implants his word, which we receive with humility. And this is a distinctive of our faith because the goodness doesn't originate with us. Our goodness does not originate through us. Instead, it's the work of the spirit that we're saved, that, that we work out what God has worked in, that we live out what God has already placed in us. We put on the jacket that God has handed us. Does that make sense? The, any goodness that's in you is, is the goodness of Christ seen through you any goodness that we have in ourselves. And this totally takes away, and we've said this before, any ability for us to boast in it. Because it's not about us, it's not about what we've done, it's about him and what he has done, what he has accomplished, that he came, that he died in my place. And so James says, in light of that, receive it with humility and meekness. And so we receive it, we put it on. And now let's get applicable. Um, how do we receive it? How do we put it on? 
Some of you are like, well, great, Justin, we get we need to put on the proverbial jacket, but how do we do that? Well, James doesn't leave us there, fortunately. Uh, let's continue in, in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget, forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So how do we accept it? How do we put on the jacket? James says, to accept it is not just to know it, but it's to do it. To accept the word, to put it on, is to do it. Don't be hearers only, but doers. But doers. We accept the word by doing it. Now, uh, one clarification before we go any further. Uh, James is not arguing He is not arguing that hearing is not important or not necessary. He's not arguing that we don't need to hear. You can go too far with this. He's not arguing for that. In in fact, it is important. It is greatly important that we hear the word of God. Uh, Here at Stone Oak Bible, we stand on this because we we believe that all transformation, all true life change happens because we've heard the word of God that we believe that faith comes through hearing the word of God. We believe that we stand on that. Instead, what James is doing, he's not saying lessen the value of hearing. What he is saying is he's refocusing us and he's saying, don't stop hearing or stop listening, but listen, hear, and start doing. Put to action the things that you have only. Uh, what does James say? It says we are deceiving ourselves that we are deceiving ourselves. James is hitting on an honest problem that faced them uh, then and us now. Um, This happens too often to us, that we can get really comfortable with coming to a place like this and hearing about the scriptures, hearing the word of God. Uh, We can go to our community group and talk through it. We can read scriptures at home. We can do all those things. We can be walking through it. Um, But somewhere along the way, this has become a purely academic pursuit, a pursuit of gaining more knowledge. In fact, this is one of the major pitfalls for seminary students that that step into seminary and they're hungry and then all of a sudden, this book becomes a really cool textbook to study, but not necessarily the words of a living God meant to be applied. Um, And that can happen to us because somewhere along the way, there's a separation that can grow between what we know in our head and what in our heart. There's a separation that can grow there. And so as we approach this text in order to read it, my, my question is, are you willing to let this text read you? Are you willing to let this text read you? Um, If you're here and you've been a Christian for any amount of time, I want you to think about this question, honestly, um, When is the last time you heard the word of God and you said, it's not enough for me just to hear that? It's not enough for me to to write about it, to think about it. It's not enough for me to post about it. I need to act on it. When is the last point in time in your life that that has happened? 
for me, this, was a, this is a sobering question. When is the last time the word of God has changed your life? More clearly, when is the last time the word of God has changed your life style? We think of changing our life in this kind of spiritual sense, which it is, but when has that played out into the way you live your life? When is the word of God, when's the last time that it has changed your lifestyles, that you are a doer of the word and not a hearer only? I love this quote, and I'm gonna use this often uh, during our series because I think he just expresses this beautifully. Martin Luther, in his commentary on James, uh, says this, We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Isn't that cool? Let me read that again. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Why? Because faith does. We hear, we do. And James says that we deceive ourselves. That's strong. That's strong wording. We deceive ourselves when we think we can get out of that or or not um, listen to that. I read an article Uh, this week about something that's kind of prevalent in our church, and not our church, of course, hopefully, but globally, our church. Um, There's an idea that's called carnal Christianity. Have you guys heard of this, or carnal Christians? Uh, The idea behind this, uh, carnal Christians, is that there there are those who, who claim that they are saved, but would also claim that it has made no difference in their life at all. That they're saved, they know it, but it has made no impact whatsoever. Their life, by their admission, has, but I am, am saved. I'm a Christian. Uh, there's a word, this is so precious that they coined a term, carnal Christians, to describe it. My question is, how would James respond to that article? According to this text, these people are deceiving themselves. According to this text, there is self-deception involved in this text. Now, this sounds really harsh, but I think it's exactly what Jesus himself says in Matthew 13. Um, As always, I invite you to turn here. I'm not going to have it on the screens. I love for you to know that what I'm saying actually is not mine. So you can feel free to turn here, but I'm just going to walk us through quickly. I wish I had all, all hour to talk about Matthew 13. I love it. Um, but I'm going to walk through this. I love this parable. I absolutely love this parable. Uh, it's the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower. Uh, Jesus describes this, this, this man that's throwing seeds, right? Some of them land on the path, Jesus said, and, and these seeds lay there. They are devoured by birds, It's the first seed. The second seed, some of these seeds, they fall on on rocky ground, on rocky ground. They spring up, but they have no root, and they wither. There's no root. They wither away. Uh, The third seed falls on thorny ground. These spring up, and they're choked out by thorns. Then still some fall on good soil. These seeds we, we hear produce grain, a hundredfold, 60-fold, 30-fold, that they produce fruit from it. This parable is unique in the sense that only a few verses down, Jesus says, okay, now let me unpack that for you and tell you what I mean by that parable. So a few verses down, Jesus provides us with an explanation. Jesus likens the seeds to the word. 
and it's being scattered. The path, the seeds that fall on the path, uh, Jesus says these are the ones that hear the word, but they do not understand it, and the seed is snatched away. The second seed is the rocky path. These are the people who hear the word, and the text says immediately they receive it with joy. Immediately they receive it with joy, but the seed has no root, and when tribulation or trials come, the text then uses the same word that says the person immediately falls away. The third, the, thor the thorny ground. Uh, these are the people who hear the word, but it's choked out by the cares, by the worries of the world. They are unfruitful. They produce no fruit because they're choked out. And then four, the good soil. These are the people who hear the word and understand it and what? They act on it and bear fruit. They bear fruit. They produce a crop a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. You see what I'm saying? All of these soils received the seed. All of these people heard the word, yet only one produced fruit. Only one produced fruit. And James says, do not deceive yourselves in thinking that you can be hearers only. Do not deceive yourself into thinking that you can be a hearer only because a person who is a hearer only is like a man who looks at himself in the mirror, reads the word, studies this, closes it, and then forgets that these words are the very words that are meant to be applied into life. You just forget that. But James says, if a person hears the word and does it, that person will be blessed in all he does. And so here's the call. Our faith does. True faith does. And again, I think it's good for us to step back and allow our, this text to give us a bit of a gut check. Um, are you here? And if you're honest, you would say that you have been a hearer without action. A hearer without action, that you've seen no fruit in your life. And hear me, hear me. Doing does not and will never save you. Your works will not and they, ne they never will save you. You are saved by grace through faith alone through the work of Christ, that he came, that he died in your place, that he took your sin. That's how your salvation was earned, not by your earning, but by his. But hear me, look at my eyes, as James says. The fruit of your salvation in Christ is that you will produce fruit. The result or the fruit of your salvation in Christ is that you will then produce fruit. You are saved by grace through faith alone, but that faith is not ever meant to be alone. Our hearing, our faith, it has fruit. Paul uh, describes his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He lays out, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. Now listen, none of us in this room are gonna be perfect. This is not a call to perfection. This is not a call to perfection because the perfection, we, we will always fall short. Jesus was perfect and that's been accredited to us. That's how we know perfection. We don't earn perfection. We fall short. But if you're here and you have seen absolutely no fruit, absolutely no fruit in your life, if you were here and in your most honest moments, you would say that nothing has changed in your life since you've come to know Jesus. If nothing has changed, 
My prayer is that you would not be content to remain where you are. But instead, that this realization would drive you to repentance. And you know what the cool thing is? In 1 John 1, 9, it says that when we repent, that God is faithful and he is just to forgive. And we stand on that. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ because he's faithful and he's just to forgive. But the, the reality is, is that we're not okay to just simply proceed as business as usual. It's not okay for us to just continue on and to continue deceiving ourselves into thinking that we can hear this every day, every week, and do nothing with it. That we can't continue to deceive ourselves. To accept the word is to do it, and it's only by the gracious work of Christ who's transformed us from the inside out that we're able to walk that out. Let me ask you a question. What does this look like in your life? Uh, It's a question that I think we need to ask. Are there dark corners? And what I mean by dark corners, are there those areas in your life that them there in that dark corner? You're content with not really approaching those things. Are there dark corners that you are, if you're honest, just kind of content with ignoring? Uh, some of us are here, and maybe if you're just being honest, you're here and you're doing the, I'm checking this off my list thing. I'm in church. I'm checking it off. But as soon as we leave, Monday comes, and there's a disconnect between Sunday and Monday. Um, Let me ask you this question. Is there a gap between the word of God on Sunday and your reality on Monday? Is there a gap between the word of God on Sunday and your reality on Monday? And this is a question that I believe that each one of us have to answer for ourselves in our life, uh, that we need to answer this question. Uh, Imagine this, though. Imagine the joy in Christ if Sunday became the honest expression and overflow of what was happening in your life from Monday to Saturday. And this sounds fairy tale, but it's not. It's us being the church when we're outside of this place. Let me ask you another question that was helpful for me. What would happen, and I mean specifically, what would happen in your life? What would happen if the word that you sit under on Sunday became the word that guided your life on Monday? What would happen? What would change in your life? What would you see change in your life? And remember, we started out by saying, we're gonna read this text with ourselves in mind. What would change in your life and my life if this were to happen? Church, it's my prayer that we're both hearers and doers of his word. That we're both hearers, that we're doers, that we put this into action and it's not because we are good people, but it's because our God is good and that he's transformed us from the inside out to be able to walk this out, to be both a hearer and a doer of his word. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for every once in a while giving us the spiritual gut check that we need. And if there are areas in our life that we know that we need to bring in conformity with you, give us the, the boldness to do it. Don't let us be content with ignoring it, 
But if we're, if we're in this room, I pray you open our hearts and our eyes, our ears to what you are calling us to be and that as we walk in that and we walk in the joy that comes from that, that will transform us forever. God, my prayer is that we are a church that are both hearers and doers. My prayer is that we are a people that what we sit under on Sunday becomes the thing that we get to therefore live out on Monday, that all of the world might come to know you, that all of our offices will come to know you, that all of our neighborhoods would come to know you. Why? Because you've changed us. You've set us apart, and we're not the have done on the cross for us. We now get the privilege to figure that out, what you've put in us. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name.